Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for This Podcast with Father John Ricardo Mary Guilfoyle. This is the podcast where we talk about the Word of God, especially the first reading for the upcoming Sunday. And in this case, it's a brutally challenging reading and how it can hopefully bring transformation and renewal into our lives. Mary, how you doing uh, early on in the season of Lent? I'm doing pretty good, Father John. And I have to tell you, too, I mean, you, you and I had a very lengthy discussion around this passage, and I think it goes without saying, this is probably one of the most troubling passages that we read in Scripture. And aren't we lucky? Aren't we blessed that we get to unpack this one for our friends today? Full disclosure, we've been going at it here, and we're both wholly unsatisfied. That's not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y. And I think we're supposed to be, quite honestly, as we uh, dive into this. But we'll leave that for as we break in. Yeah, yeah. Given all that, what is the topic? So the topic for this week is the journey from love to trust. And my experience is it's a long, lifelong journey. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, Father, we rejoice and give thanks that we can call you that. We know that your Son has come to make you known and that your Spirit dwells within us and cries out from within Abba. We also know how terribly distorted our image of you is for so many reasons. And so we just ask in your kindness that you would send your Holy Spirit to be upon us, to bless this conversation in the ears of those who listen. Throughout these days, to give us grace to continue to come to understand ever more who you really are and all that you've done for us in Jesus. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You got a little update for us with regards to the rescue project. We do. So, um, we, we. There's a little hint, friends. So, our French translation is almost finished. So, our. Um, our companion resources are fully translated, and then the nine videos in the series, the Rescue Project, have been fully dubbed in French. And I have to say, Father John, you sound pretty good. I French. don't sound like Peter Sellers. <laughs> I know that. So uh, thanks be to God. <laughs> Can and, you just and, imagine and, Peter Sellers doing the Rescue Project? <laughs> Holy moly. Oh, it's good to laugh. Yeah. And, and just a, a, a note of thanks to all of you who uh, listen who pray, who, who support the mission of Acts 29, and in particular, um, the Rescue Project series itself. Because without your prayers and your financial support, translations like this wouldn't be possible. And I'm not sure if we actually mentioned to our friends, Father John, that the matching gift actually came to pass, which, which is what made this possible. That's right. At Christmas, we had asked everybody to please both pray for and, cons- and consider giving to a match that we got, which was going to enable two translations. And by the grace of God and people's generosity, we got that match. And so we've done the French, and now we're praying about another language. And the French is going to come out when? We haven't quite determined, have we? haven't we? quite determined that yet, but I would, med- I would imagine it's going to be within the next couple of weeks. So, so stay tuned and spread the word, dear friends. Please do. Okay, stop delaying. Let's dive in. To this very to- troubling passage. So next Sunday's first reading comes from Genesis chapter 22, and it's a series of verses. It's verses 1 and 2, first part of verse 9, verses 10 through 13, and verses 15 through 18. God put Abraham to the test. 
He called to him, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son Isaac, your only one, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There you shall offer him up as a holocaust on a height that I will point out to you. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Then he reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the Lord's messenger called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Do not lay your hand on the boy, said the messenger. Do not do the least thing to him. I know now how devoted you are to God, since you did not withhold from me your only beloved son. As Abraham looked about, he spied a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he went over and took the ram and offered it up as a holocaust in place of his son. Again the Lord's messenger called to Abraham from heaven and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have acted as you did in not withholding from me your beloved son, I will bless you abundantly and make your descendants as countless as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. Your descendants shall take possession of the gates of their enemies, and in your descendants all the nations of the earth shall find blessing. All this because you obeyed my command. Okay. So, I don't know any text in Scripture that quite honestly, uh, provokes as visceral a reaction as this one does. So, and we were having that in our conversation back and forth before we hit the record button. And maybe what we can try to do is this. Let me, let me just offer a couple of general comments because there's so much here, which uh, could be worth just lingering with. So th- these are the kinds of things, anyway, when I pray with Scripture that I just... I let my imagination go. I just want to wander and waste time with you know, one of a number of things that we might mention. And then let's just boil it down to, okay, given all of that and all the different directions we could go, what's the Lord saying to you in this? What's he saying to me? And then perhaps offer the only satisfying response I know to give to this or that we've agreed we can give to this. So that sounds like a... Sounds great, Father John. So here's some, some general comments. So this, is, this passage is actually read daily in the Jewish liturgy. It's known as the binding of Isaac. And it's often referred to as the Calvary of the Old Testament. It's interestingly the last time God speaks to Abraham. And it's something like a bookend to the first time God spoke to Abraham. Remember Genesis 12, mm-hmm. God appears to Abraham. He says, rise, leave your homeland and go to a land that I will show you. And so now, the last time God speaks to Abraham, he does something similar. He says, go to a land that I will show you. We have no idea. Nobody, Moriah doesn't show up before this, right? Um, we know that Moriah turns out to be the place where Solomon builds the temple, which is going to become significant as we break this open. Troublingly so, I think a lot of us fly through the fact that it says this is a test. In other words, God never intends Abraham to slaughter his son. Here's the problem, or one of the problems. 
Abraham doesn't know it's a test. Right. The other right. problem is, I don't know a satisfying answer to the question, what's Why? the test? Yeah. I still don't. So we'll, 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 go ahead. No, 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 no. I, for us as readers, we hear in the first verse, Genesis 22, one, that this is a test. Well, it's great for us. Right. It wasn't so great for Abraham. Yeah, not so great. Right. <laughs> it's right. not like somebody said, hey, don't worry, this, mm-hmm. is, this is only a drill. Right. This is only, if it had been an actual emergency, you would have That's been told right. what That's to right. do. Right. No, no, no. He doesn't know that. So, again, give ourselves some reminder on Abraham and Isaac, right? So, for 25 years, for a generation, God has been telling Abraham, um, who's already left everything, right, in Genesis 12, you're going to have an heir. For 25 years, you'd think at a certain point, 25 years go by, I don't think he's going to fulfill this promise. And then along comes Isaac. After, you know, the little incident with Hagar and Ishmael, which isn't all that great, but we'll we'll leave that for uh, another time. The test is not for God. Even though we read in the scriptures, you know, like, now I know It's not like God found out something he didn't know. God knows everything. The test is for Abraham. The Hebrew, I don't know why we translate it this way in English, but the Hebrew is not in this order. The Hebrew is very different. The Hebrew is, take your son. So Abraham could be going, I got two sons. I got Isaac and I got Ishmael. Take your only son. Well, I got two only sons. I got one with Hagar. I got one with Sarah. Take the one you love. I love them both. No, no, no. Take Isaac. That's the, that's the rhythm of the passage in Hebrew. Interestingly enough, this is the first time the word love shows up in the Bible. <laughs> I find that just crazy. And then we get the only dialogue. It's not in this passage. It's, it's excerpted out. Huh? It's the only dialogue that's ever recorded between Isaac and Abraham. When Isaac says, Father, here's the fire, and here's the wood, where's the animal for the sacrifice? That's the only time that they ever speak. And Isaac, we were talking about this earlier, it's easy for us to have an image that Isaac's like this young child or something like that. Isaac's not a young child. Isaac's a young man, man. right? This is a strapping man who, who could have overpowered his son, right? So Fleming Rutledge, who you and I both read, she has a, a beautiful little preaching on this. And I think it sums up where so many people are when they read the scripture. This is from a, um, a homily that she gave, I think back in, I don't know, the late eighties or the early nineties. But she says this, she says, is this some kind of cruel joke? God already knows everything. Why then does he put Abraham to the test? A clue, just a clue is found in Romans when Paul calls Abraham, quote, the father of us all, unquote. She goes on to say, the Christian tradition has always known Abraham to be, quote, the father of believers, unquote. It's Abraham's faith, the meaning of it, the depth of it, the application of it, and above all, the source of it that is central to the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. We're going to come back to that, I think. I, I came across another commentator on this passage, and I thought he too, he sums up what, at least what I experience as I read this passage, like I want a lot of information, but we don't get any information. Like there's, there's no details, right? How old's Isaac? We don't know. Where's Sarah? Not a clue. Where's Moriah? No one's ever heard of it. We don't have, like what's going on inside Abraham's mind? It took three days 
to get to Moriah. Like three days, Abraham has to wake up every day on his way to this mountain and go, wait a minute. There's no way God really said that to me. I mean, can you imagine what's going on inside his head as he wrestles with what it is he's being asked to do? I mean, Isaac's the one through whom I'm going to have all these descendants. How is it that I can slaughter him and we still get these descendants, right? It makes no sense, right? What'd they talk about? Can you imagine? Yeah, I I love this commentary because um, as we were talking about this, these are the same questions that many of us have in our minds as we hear this word proclaimed. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really challenging text. Let, let me end with a, a little quote from a, a sermon that Augustine gave. It's actually not a sermon. It's in the city of God. And then, and then let's dive into what's the Lord saying to you? What's he saying to me? And then what might he be saying to us, especially in this Lenten season? So Augustine says this, He says, and on this account, Isaac carried the wood on which he was to be offered up to the place of sacrifice, just as the Lord himself carried his own cross. Finally, since Isaac himself was not killed, for his father had been forbidden to kill him, who was that ram who was offered instead, and by whose foreshadowing blood the sacrifice was accomplished? But when Abraham had caught sight of him, he was caught by the horns in a thicket. Who then did he represent but Jesus, who before he was offered up had been crowned with thorns? We we could go on and on with lots of details that we wish were there but are not. And again, I just want to say this. I don't know aside from what we might share in a minute, a satisfying answer or exegesis of this text. Like, what's the test? I've never found a satisfactory answer to, oh, that's the test. Oh, okay, it makes sense now. Um, I just don't know one. So given all that, what's the Lord saying to you? (laughs) I'm going to pass and defer to you. Albert, what do you have like to say? Found a friend. Where's Albert? When I, where's Albert when I need him? Um, a, a couple things. So, uh, as you know, I was on retreat last week, and so I had time to pray with this. And um, that was really comforting, wasn't it? <laughs> and I have access to a lot of commentaries, right? Mm. And I'm trying to find answers to these questions because the passage raises, as you, as you noted in one of the commentaries. It raises more questions than it offers answers. So I went in search of answers, and I ended up closing all the commentaries. I'm thinking, I'm not finding what I'm looking for here. Hmm. So I went back. So, so a couple things. A, it's a very hard passage. It's not a comforting word. And as I was sharing with you before we hit the record button, I said, no confessor in my entire life has ever given me this passage to pray with as part of my penance. Because oftentimes, you know, your confessor will invite you to go pray with a certain scripture. I've never prayed with this one, and thank heavens no one's ever given it to me. But it reminds me of a few things. You know, St. Jerome says that um, to be ignorant of scripture Mm. is to be ignorant of Christ. And so I think 
you know, all of us, all of our friends listening, strive to know the word of God. And so it reminds me of just how imperative it is that we that we try to somehow contextualize it and, and try to get some clarity around. I mean, we're supposed to wrestle with this. And this was tough, obviously, to wrestle with. But at the end of the day, I, I think for, for me, um, it, it's a word about trust. Mm. And, and I was talking with you earlier before we started to uh, record our conversation, actually drew you an image of like a timeline. And, and I often share with people that it's one thing, at least for me personally, to say how much I love the Lord Jesus. Like, like I, I, I love you, Lord. Mm. And then it's this long journey to trust, and at the end is trust. And the challenge that it is for me to say, oh, Lord Jesus, I trust you. It's like there's this chasm between love and trust. And I don't know if I'm the only one that struggles with that, but for me to love him is easier than to, than to say, oh, and I totally trust you. And oftentimes for me to say, to pray the prayer, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you is an act of my will because oftentimes I just don't feel, feel that here. But I know deep down you are trustworthy. And yet, you know, I, I place myself in this scene and I'm thinking, who is my Isaac? Mm. Who is my Isaac? What gift in my life do I most treasure? Do I most prize? And all of us are going to have our own unique answers, but I bet there's some common threads to all of them. It's our families, it's our children, it's our grandchildren, it's our health, it's, it's all these things. It's the gifts that flow from, right, the Father. And then I just started to pray with, you know, what are some of our impediments to trust? And for all of us, they're going to be different things, but I think that's maybe something worthy. Or I don't know that we have time to unpack those impediments, but to maybe ask the, the Lord God to reveal, like, what are some of those impediments that, that need to be overcome with your grace? so that I can respond in obedience, even when what you're asking or what I'm being confronted with in my life makes no sense. And then I was looking at some, um, some passages in the New Testament that just, I mean, promise us, I mean, tell us, declare that, that we're going to have trials in this life. We're going to be confronted with things in life that don't make sense and that what it does, just as Abraham's obedience proved his faithfulness, the testing of our own faith produces steadfastness. We hear this in James uh, chapter 1. And we're going to be harassed. We're going we're to have trials in this life. But for me, I think at the end of the day, it's asking God for the grace to bridge that chasm from mm. love to trust. And that, as you said earlier, as I think you were praying, as we were starting to break this open, it's a lifetime journey. No, I love that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. You know, let me, let, let me take it up a file menu if I can. Because I think lots of people trust Jesus, but they don't trust the Father. I think for me, that's what becomes so manifest as people read this passage. I think every single one of us, myself included, has a varying degree of a distorted image of God the Father. I think lots of us have an image of Jesus as the kind, gentle member of the Trinity. I mean, the Spirit's, you know, non-threatening. He's a dove, for crying out loud. He's not a dove. You know what I mean? Um, But the Father... 
very difficult for most of us. And we forget that Jesus says, I have come not on my own, but to do the Father's will, and that he has sent me, um, and that to see me is to see the Father, and that he and the Father are one, and that he makes known the Father. You know, Paul talks about him as being the image of the invisible God. And so I think the only satisfying way to read this passage is to read it in conjunction with the New Testament. I mean, the Old Testament only makes sense in light of the, when it's read side by side with the New, you you quoted Jerome. And as we've said before in this podcast, when Jerome says that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ, he's writing about the Old Testament. He's writing about Isaiah. Point being, if I don't know the Old Testament, I'm never going to understand the New. And if I don't read the New, or if I read the Old apart from the New, it's always going to leave me um, really confused. And mm-hmm. even with the new here, I'm still, I don't have satisfactory answers to a lot of things. I think here's why, what I would offer as a way to think about this passage and to pray with it in these days. Um, so Moriah, as we mentioned, is the place where Solomon builds the temple. The temple is very close to another mountain or another mount, we could call it. And the other mount is Golgotha, where another son did die. And he didn't die because his father killed him. Although I think that's how many people think about the passion. So I think wrongly people have this image that, okay, God creates humanity. Humanity rebels. God gets angry. He's going to kill humanity. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'll take the blame. And so the father kills him and somehow we go free. It's a common misunderstanding. And they may not right? say it as crudely as right. that, but I think that's how a lot of right. people think, which makes it really difficult to approach the father. And that is not the father. The, the work of the passion is done by all the members of the Trinity. They're all involved, right? And, and the son and the father and the spirit together do all that, that is involved in the passion to rescue the creature made in their own image and likeness, namely us. And so I would just suggest, you talk about trust, I think that's spot on. I think the, the takeaway of this passage for us is, do we trust God? And, and I've said before, and I'll increasingly so, I say this. I think you can make the argument Jesus has one homily. And his one homily is the Father. And the homily could be titled something like this. You don't know him. You're wrong about him. You think he's fill in the blank. He's not like that. And I've come to reveal him to you. Remember the, the very beginning of um, the enemy's temptation to the first parents is Um, God is holding Holding out on you, you. which means the father is holding out on you. He's your adversary. He's not your father. He's against you. He's not for you. It's the original lie. Yeah. When in fact, no, 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 he's for you. That's why he made you. And his desire is to give with or to share with you everything. It's like the the words that Jesus uses in the uh, parable, the prodigal son, son, everything I have is yours. yours. Everything is yours. The Father wants to share everything with us. That's why Romans 8 comes right after this, this coming Sunday, and where Paul says, like, if, if the Father didn't, you know, didn't hesitate to offer his Son for us, like, what in the world do you think he's going to hold back? Like, 
there's nothing more dear to him than his than his son, and yet he shared him with us. We can have utmost confidence in him. And so maybe the 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 takeaway for me anyway, and and maybe I can offer it for for all of us, is just to ask, you know, maybe to pray in front of a crucifix. So Jesus says, to see me is to see the Father. That might be worth keeping in mind praying in front of a crucifix and just asking Jesus and the Holy Spirit who dwells within us two things. One, expose in me. And by expose, I mean write these down. Like be honest with yourself. Be honest with myself. What are those distorted images that we have of God? The Father. And then ask Jesus, Jesus, help me to know him. Because what Jesus is doing is he is entrusting himself into the Father's hands for us and our salvation on the cross. And he's trying to teach us to do the same, to entrust ourselves into the Father's hands. I keep thinking of the the Lord's words in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, like, do not be like the pagans. They don't know God. I have shown you who the Father is, and if he cares for grass, for crying out loud, or birds, don't you think he's going to care for you, who he made in his image and likeness, and who he destined to be divinized? That does not mean life is going to be easy. Because we live in a broken, fallen world, which Jesus has begun to redeem by his death and resurrection, but it has not yet fully happened, which is why we have the trials that we have. But in the meantime, no matter what happens, God is trustworthy. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And there's so much good stuff. I mean, just practically to pray with. If I could just maybe offer um, something, and, and, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with any of this, but you know, as we place ourselves prayerfully before a crucifix, and we ask the Holy Spirit to expose those distorted images of the Father, mm-hmm. um, I would encourage us also to ask the Lord to reveal where those distortions came from. Yep, it's a great thing. And then invite the Holy Spirit to come in and bring healing to the root of where those distor- distor- distortions come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to declare the truth of God's word over those areas. Because it's one thing to, okay, so that's the image. What caused that distortion? And I want the Father to send his blessing in such a way that I, that I know from, from the scriptures, from the word of God, that everything that Jesus says about his Father helped me to really know that's true yep. for me. Yep, and Does I might boil sense? it down to two things. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie. That God is not Amen. a good father. Amen. And in the name of Jesus, I declare that God is trustworthy. There you go. And I can surrender my life to him. That's exactly it, Father John. Beautiful. Well, may the Lord uh, be with us all this week as we wrestle with his word and continue to unveil things to us so that we can uh, give ourselves ever more entirely into the Father's hands, uh, animated by the power of the Spirit and uh, spurred on by the extraordinary gift of Jesus on the cross out of love for us. Brothers and sisters, let's pray for each other in these days. These are tough days, but grace-filled days. So let's take advantage of those graces that God is making available to us. Let's keep our eyes firmly fixed on him. And remember, do not be afraid. God 
the God who is a good father and who is trustworthy is with you. And you were born for this. Hello, friends. This is Mary Guilfoyle with X29. Thanks so much for listening. If you're interested in knowing more about our mission, check out our website at x29.org. That's A-C-T-S-X-X-I-X.org, where you can learn more about who we are and what God has called us to do. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to Father John's weekly blog, Thoughts from the Trailer, as well as access The Rescue Project. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. And please pray for us and be assured of our prayers and gratitude for each and every one of you. We look forward to you tuning in next week. God bless you.